Hi, I'm Bridget Wood and you're listening to Miso Scoop. This week, it feels like I got a new pair of specs. Instead of wandering around blindly with both eyes closed, it now kind of feels like I have one eye a little bit open, a little bit squinty, so I can see some stuff. This is probably because in my downtime at work, I've been teaching myself katakana. Now, katakana is the most basic alphabet and is usually used when emphasizing a word, trying to convey something simply, often in advertising, almost commonly for when English words have been Japanese. Suddenly, I can read all of these things that are appearing on billboards and signs and on the metro. For example, flower is furawa. Economy is ekonomi. So you see what I mean? If you can read katakana, you can usually work out what the corresponding English word is. However, there are some slightly less clear versions. For example, some of my favourites. Number one, ayameto, which means I mate. But what the hell is an eye mate, you may ask? Well, it's a guide dog, of course. Or number two, what about gosain? Literally, this means gosain, otherwise known as a green light. And number three, and perhaps my personal favourite, is baikingku. Now, baikingku means Viking, but baikingku doesn't actually mean Viking. Following? <laughs> no, well, neither was I in the beginning. But in Japanese, baikingku or viking means smorgasbord. Vikings are Scandinavian, smorgasbords are Scandinavian. It all makes sense. Anyway, with katakana sorted, it's now time for me to work out how to actually speak Japanese. So I had my first class this week, which was an introductory meet the teachers so they can actually work out how much Japanese I know. In this case, literally nothing. Now, these lessons are nothing fancy. They're just run by the equivalent of your local council. It costs me about $1.50 a lesson, and they are just there to teach me everyday Japanese so I can actually survive. However, despite saying all this, I don't know if I've signed up for Japanese lessons or a matchmaking service. You see, along with that, have you ever learnt Japanese before questions? I was also peppered with questions such as, and how old are you? And do you have a boyfriend? Thrown in for the mix as well. The lessons are run by Shufu. Now, Shufu means housewife, and I think this is really just a bit of fun for them. Now, a quick detour just to explain the whole Shufu culture in Japan. There are a lot of housewives here. You see them everywhere, and generally they're cool mums riding bikes, sipping lattes on their phone in heels, and usually all at the same time. However, it's not all shopping trips and adorable children for the shufu. You see, Japanese women face what they call the bamboo ceiling, the same as the glass ceiling, but impossible to break and not able to be seen through. Wives are generally expected to stay at home and raise children and may take a part-time job as a bit of a hobby. Hence all of my bored shufu teachers, but more on women in the workplace in another episode of the podcast. Now, the two particular shufu teachers were asking me about my hobbies. And when I asked them about theirs, one said her hobby was a dog. Now, this is actually quite possible in Japan, as it appears in Tokyo, dogs cannot appear naked without their hair done or in some sort of pram or handbag. Now, the second teacher said her hobby was drinking every day. However, she did want to strongly clarify that she was just getting tipsy every day, not drunk. Anyway, between the dogs and the drinks, Japanese classes sound like a bit of fun. But now, on to more earth-shattering matters. 
what happened to me on my first day of work. My manager arrived, gave me a box of stuff. Here's your stapler, your notebook, your hole punch, your earthquake kit, your ruler. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. Rewind there. Here's your stapler, your notebook, your hole punch, your earthquake kit. Yes, you heard right. My handy-dandy magnetic earthquake kit attached to my filing cabinet in easy reach should I ever need to dive under my desk when the earth starts shaking. I've got a foldable hard hat, radio, torch, whistle, glow sticks. I mean, it's practically a party in there. And this isn't just some kind of over-the-top litigation paranoid law firm. This is everyone. Just about every business you walk into will have a pile of hard hats in the corner or perched on top of a bookshelf. When I moved into my apartment, there was an earthquake kit containing everything I could possibly need to know. I've been notified of my neighbourhood earthquake evacuation meeting point. I don't actually know what happens when I get there, but I do know where it is, and I can probably jump boulders and dodge falling debris Hollywood style to get there if need be. But in all seriousness, people are on edge about earthquakes here. 2011 shook people up, pun intended, pretty bad here. People I work with talk about it and how scary it was, noisy, stuff falling everywhere, and being in a high-rise which is designed to move with the earthquake and is therefore toppling all over the place is terrifying. I was speaking to one of my colleagues about it, to which he told me he doesn't actually really remember much of the 2011 quake, as no one could get home that night because the metros were cancelled, so everyone just sat in bars drinking. Some scientists have said that based on recent seismic activity, we should be expecting another big earthquake by 2017 at the latest. Others say before the massive 2011 quake, it was quiet, too quiet, and at the moment there is too much seismic activity for there to be another enormous earthquake. Moral of the story here is who knows. I've got my earthquake kit, my evacuation point and hard hat ready to go just in case. So until next time, hopefully still here on sturdy ground, sayonara and thanks for listening.